Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. This week, Tim and myself have a conversation surrounding Sean Foyt and his Let Us Worship movement. While we do discuss Sean specifically and these protest worship services, we use this example to talk about how our theology impacts how we live out the Christian faith. We talk about protesting, government restrictions, face masks, and persecution. Let's join the conversation for this week. Welcome, everyone! To the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast, I am your host, Tim Whitaker, joined here with my co-host, Rob McMichael. Evening, Timmy. And Jordan Renault. Ha! This time, you're off the podcast, jerk. Just kidding. Jordan's not here with us. After a long talk, Rob said it's either me or Jordan. And because Rob's the only person who can post these episodes, <laughs> I had to choose Rob. But it, it wasn't uh, my microphone. Nope. Oh. Sorry, Pretty I'm getting an, an issue on my Zoom thing. I think I, I think I have a bad cable. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Jordan. Uh, we'll miss you, but <laughs> you just don't have the same skill set Rob does. What can I say? Anyway, great to have you on, Rob. Um, great to be recording. I was on vacation the past week. I'm back now, which is exciting. And I am pumped up and fired up, and I am ready to go on this episode that's all that we needed that's what that's what the purpose of vacation is to relax unwind and get ready for your next podcast that's what vacation's all about it's hard to unwind though when i'm just you know seething i'm just full of rage <laughs> over what, tonight's topic what what exactly is getting you so raged up tim i'm so glad you asked rob all right, everyone. First off, like we said, welcome to the episode. I want to preface, we're talking on this episode about Sean Foyt, who is the founder of Hold the Line, which is a political Christian movement, which is also hosting these massive worship gatherings outside using the hashtag Let Us Worship. And Sean's big thing is that the government is, and I quote, oppressing the church, as those are his words, and that we have to stand up so we can worship Jesus together. Now, let me preface by just saying a few things, because I know people who listen have all different perspectives on this. Sean is a brother. Sean is a Christian. Sean is a good man. I don't think Sean is has bad intent. I don't think that he is trying to put people in danger. So, I start by saying that because I am pretty frustrated with him, even though he's family, but I think it's important that we have this conversation because there's something deeper at work here, Rob, that we need to get down to business on. Um, and it has to do with a lot of things, but the one of the big things in my view is the church, I call it the American church persecution complex. It's this thing that Christians think they're a minority, that they're on the fringe of society, that they are just uh, persecuted in America, that there is some nebulous evil force that is just trying super hard to ruin their faith, 
Usually they're called liberals or, or, or socialists or Marxists, but you can't really define them. They're just out there. And Sean is playing this one up big time, and I think we got to talk about it. And and also, as a little disclaimer, is this is kind of what this podcast is all about. But this is someone, and I think we'll get into this, this is someone who's living out their theology. So I will kind of congratulate or uh, at least respect that he is holding true and walking in the way that his theology would dictate him to do. So on that side, we will say, hey, you know what? You're sticking to your guns. You're you're uh, accepting quote-unquote persecution or, you know, railment from other people because you're doing what you feel the scriptures uh, are teaching you or requesting that you do. So there is that to be said as well. That's right. I have to agree with you. You can't fault the guy for not being hypocritical as far as what he says he believes versus what he does. So yep. props to him. If you guys don't know, Sean Foyt, like I said, has started an organization called Hold the Line. He came, um, he got really popular when he was a worship leader over at Bethel. As far as I know, I read, I read this today. He is still a volunteer at Bethel, and I'm pretty sure that Bethel overall does support what he's doing, okay? So I'm not saying that Bethel has a statement saying we fully endorse, you know, Sean officially, but they have made comments saying that, that, that they appreciate and that they applaud his efforts and what he's doing. And there are other worship leaders, such as Brandon Lake, who's another big worship leader. He um, was on the new Elevation album. He's on a Bethel album, and he was also with, uh, with Sean about a week ago for another event. So he definitely has support in what he's doing. Um, he was, a, like I said, he was a worship uh, leader and then he uh, actually ended up running for Congress and that failed. And then he uh, has kind of found some new popularity with these hold the line. He calls them worship protests. So what they're doing is they're going around the country and they're amassing i mean he says these are his words they, they say tens of thousands of people uh to come out and to worship and in, in the pictures i've seen there are no masks there's no social distancing and it's intentionally designed they are protesting the quote-unquote lockdown they are protesting that the church is being um persecuted and being impeded on and that they cannot worship and that they cannot sing so they choose to do it outside that's their big shtick as you can imagine, it's polarizing. People are kind of on both sides of this. I personally very heavily lean on the side of, why are you doing this? It makes no sense. There is no church, American church persecution, especially using that word persecution, I think dishonors actual persecution that's happening. But some people really support what he's doing and they support the movement. So that's the big picture. That's what you're walking into on this conversation. So I'm going to kick things off, Rob, if you're cool with that. And whenever you're ready, you just raise that hand or you just interject, which is totally in your personality. Um, and, <laughs> and we'll get going. So I'm going to start with some of the low-hanging fruit. To me, one of my biggest pain points with this whole idea, there are, are, are two, two major ones. The biggest one out of the two is that he is holding these protests saying, let us worship. When in most states, if not all, some form of gatherings are back, first off. 
Um, most places, even like in New Jersey, where we're at, which is very conservative as far as how, how locked down it's been, we're back gathering in a larger group of, of up to 100 or 125. And when he goes to these rallies, he's not being shut down. He's not being arrested. They're not dispersing the crowds. So I'm, I'm confused, first off, on what he's actually protesting because it's happening. I mean, I, I've watched I watched the Elevation live stream almost for a month and a half straight during the most extreme parts of the lockdown, and worshiping was still happening. So I'm I'm number one. I'm, I'm confused on the whole method and the whole message. Okay, so what are you actually protesting? Because you're doing what you're saying you can't do, which kind of defeats the purpose of protesting. That's number one, <laughs> right? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Um, and number two, uh, this whole idea of this, you know, American church persecution complex of, oh my gosh, we're being infringed upon. I mean, I don't think people understand that in America, the Christian faith is the most dominant religion by far in America. We have our own movie industry. We have our own music industry. We dominate all kinds, anything, anything, anything that, that says faith and religion, we dominate that on the podcast charts. We dominate that on YouTube. There are subsections of people who make a living critiquing other Christians' work. All right? There are mega churches. There are pastors making more than six figures, some making seven figures a year. We are not a minority group. The evangelical vote is the single largest voting block in America. We are the biggest group. We are the most widespread. You don't see, I mean, can anyone on this podcast name a well-known um, Muslim um, you know, apologist or pastor, for lack of a better term, or a Hindu, or even Jewish? You probably can't because the Christian- Ben Shapiro. Boom. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> but you probably can't because those religions are not anywhere close um, to the popular uh, popularity or to the prominence that Christianity is. So I'm very exhausted having this conversation with people who really think that they're being persecuted because what, what they're saying is, is that they can't worship. But what they really are saying is that they can't worship their way, how they're used to doing it. That's the problem. You see, the difference of persecution versus not is that persecution is focused on a specific religion or a specific group of religions only, and only those people can't get, um, gather in masses or they can't do certain things. But the pandemic has killed the concert industry as a whole. There's no tours happening. The sports industry was, was dead for months. And even now, it's just the players in a lot of places. There's very little fans. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the government came in during a pandemic and said, oh, great, this is our chance to shut down the church. The whole economy was shut down. My parents' business in construction was shut down. So I'm, I'm, I find it so silly that a Christian could really call what's happening persecution, because in reality, all of us, including our neighbor, <laughs> the ones that were called the love, have, have either had job losses or their job has changed or their industry is totally wiped out. So I'm kind of tired of having the same conversation over and over again. But to me, it's so clear. We are not in the middle of a church persecution complex. In fact, one last thing I'll say, I was listening to a religious lawyer who um, is pretty prominent and uh, he's argued a lot of cases. And he said that, that the, um, 
I guess uh, whenever the whenever there's a case at the Supreme Court that has to do with like religion versus some someone saying this is you know you 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 can't do this as a religious person, the side for for religion has won every single time. They're 15 and 0 at the Supreme Court. We've never lost a case but it has to come to do with like our religious rights in the Supreme Court and like who knows how long. So it really is, I think, smoke and mirrors, this idea that any day now these bad people, they really call them liberals or socialists, whatever, are going to come down uh, to your street, knock down your door, take your guns, take your Bible and imprison you. <laughs> it's just it's 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 crazy. But people really buy it. They really do. And Sean, I believe, is capitalizing on that. And he's using this moment to really have these huge protests that I think are doing so much more damage, so much more damage than good. And and to be clear, it's not that we think that the the concert themselves, they'll call it worship, for lack of a better term, we'll refer to them as concerts. They're not, we, we don't disagree with having a large gathering of, people that they're there to worship but it's the message that's tied with it that we're kind of fighting against here correct yeah yeah i would say that and that and also that these events are tone deaf they're not reading the room at all there are people who have lost loved ones it's very contagious etc and to have massive gatherings protesting that you can't have a massive gathering and to say that this is tyranny I think is is you're not they're not thinking about like other people. They're thinking about themselves, right? It's about our rights, about what what we're allowed to do. If we don't have this worship event, God can't move almost. It's kind of like the perspective I think that they have even though they might not see it that way, but I, I that's that's the sense I get. Like if we can't if we can't gather in groups of a thousand or more and worship, like what kind of Christian are we almost? That's the kind of like idea I get almost like like it's written in the Bible somewhere that in order for it to count you got to have a huge group therefore um religious well, whatever persecution well, well you know the church always goes back to Matthew 18 and 20 where it says where two or three thousand are gathered together <laughs> so they do have that going for them well that's what I don't understand Rob is I I I feel like this whole pandemic was an opportunity for the church to be like hey okay, we can't do our normal mass gathering. That's okay. We can readjust because the church throughout history has been flexible from house churches to large gatherings to small gatherings to the real persecuted church that's underground. And instead, we just like, we, we just cried. It's, it's almost, <laughs> it's like stubbing your toe and then demanding you go to the doctor to get surgery like that day. You know, like the guy's like, dude, it's just your toe's been stubbed. No, it's broken. I need surgery. This is crazy. You're discriminating. And the doctor's like, it's just, you just stubbed your toe. I mean, that's what I feel like this is happening here is the church had to stub their toe because of pandemic. And the response is just like, woe is me. How can we ever live? Oh, our rights are up in the air. This is what the left's been waiting to do for years to, to kill religion. I mean, it's, it's silly. It is so silly. And I don't know if you listen to this podcast. You know, you know who uh, David J. Harris Jr. is? No. Uh, um, he's a political commentator, um, bald head, beard. He's on Facebook all the time, normally talking about guns or something like that. Okay. If you saw him, you'd probably know who, who I'm talking about. But he was interviewing Sean 
And he kept referring to our God-given rights in America, our God-given rights in America. And I'm just like, you mean our constitutional rights? Like God didn't sit there with Thomas Jefferson and was like, yo, buddy, make sure you put in there X, Y, and Z. And, <laughs> and whether, whether or not what they're talking about is even true, it's like they phrase it that way for a reason because they're trying to cater to an audience that they're trying to rile up. They're trying to get behind this movement. And lest we forget that Sean also ran for um, a political position in the congressional district like third district in California as well. He didn't make it past the primaries, but, uh, and they, they actually talked about that. He, he said it was, he felt called by God to run and that he was set up for this position. And, you know, after he lost in the primaries, he was like, man, well, what was that about? And then he was like, and then God used that as just a preparation for the persecution that I was going to face when oh i went God. into this let us worship which is really where <laughs> where i'm here the guy is worth seven hundred thousand dollars and he's persecuted i mean only in america is that is that persecution i'm i'm like i'm baffled i'm baffled especially because it, it is a very self-centered approach on a very selfless gospel i mean look at what paul says all throughout scripture when he's trying to navigate the waters of the Gentiles worshiping with the Jewish people, circumcision, um, you know, uh, meat sacrifice to, to idols. And Paul is saying, lay down your rights. Think about the other. Lay down your rights. If, if, if someone gets offended, I'll never eat meat again. And instead, what we have is a, it's all about my rights. It's all about my right to, to worship how I want. What do you mean I can't do it the way I've always wanted to i'm gonna protest what was me victim victim i'm i'm the per, i'm the one being persecuted against it's so self it's so focused inward and not outward it, it it forsakes the greatest two commandments of loving god and then loving your neighbor as yourself so i think that sean would say well i am loving my neighbor i'm doing this for them but the neighbor doesn't see it that way that's the problem culture looks at this and a lot of people in culture are flabbergasted they're just flabbergasted. They don't understand. So I, I just don't know the good. I don't know in this case, if any good, which, I, you know, he claims healings and, and that people are, are getting quote unquote saved, whatever that means. I'm not sure if that means that, that, that they prayed a prayer that, or that they walked uh, down you know, the aisle or whatever, but he's saying that's happening, but you're doing it. You're doing it at the expense of the image of the church publicly and also at the expense of people's health. So it is interesting to, to see this happening and to see it so well received by a lot of people. It's just it's very mind blowing to me. And on the tail of that, we're not saying that God can't use one of these events to generally save someone. Obviously, that's that God yes. can save all people in all times, in all ways, despite or in spite of us at many times. Um, mm -hmm. But is this really if jesus was here today yeah. and he was walking america like he walked through jerusalem would he be attending one of these services or would he be condemning them much like he did the religious leaders of their day who were persecuted but also in the highest points of power or would he be perhaps visiting the homes of Zacchaeus and sitting by the well in Samaria, waiting for a woman 
And right. there, there's better ways to go about spreading his message than, you know, organizing these these anti-government protests, which if you go to Paul's letters, that was like exactly what Paul was against. That's the reason Paul wrote the way that he did. And it was a subversive gospel. It was one that, hey, we're, we're not out here to throw over principalities and powers. We're not out here to throw over governments or tell Rome how they should be doing our job. But the best way to change Rome is actually going to be through your neighbor. The best way to change hearts is going to be the person that you're working alongside of, because that's, that's where the gospel is really going to spread like wildfire. And guess what? Paul and his fellow disciples, they changed the world. We aren't changing the world. We're getting the world to look at us, but I don't think it's in a good light. <laughs> I tend to agree. I, I wonder, and I don't want to, again, I, like we said earlier, I'm not here to judge Sean's motives. It's not about that, but it, having big public gatherings where you're on the, you're the face of it and you you're all over social media. Yeah. That's a lot sexier than maybe Sean in front of no cameras or whoever loving their neighbor. Well, or visiting the, the, the Zacchaeus of our day where there's no Instagram to be able to share about it. But that's just the model that I think is way more effective is, is how are we loving people? And I, I don't think having huge events all over the, the U S as a way of protesting <laughs> The government is effectively um, announcing the kingdom. Does that make sense? I mm -hmm. don't think it's effectively announcing God's goodness for all people. I think it's getting a lot of people riled up unnecessarily, which only fuels Sean's persecution complex, which only fuels what he does even more, which only fuels their, you know, the culture's response of like, dude, what are you doing? So I've always had this thought where if we're doing something and, and people aren't, um, interested in the gospel, then what's the point of doing it? I The way I used to phrase that was, if we're yelling at people about how they have to repent, and because of how we're yelling at them, they're, they're getting pushed further away, and they never repent, and they end up spending eternity, you know, in hell or separated from God, what's the point then? Like, it's like a very pragmatic approach, right? Of, okay, if we're just screaming at people, and people hate us, then clearly our approach isn't working. We have to readdress. So I, I see it the same way kind of here where it's just looking at Sean and telling him, dude, read the room. What if you partnered with the government, because uh, you do have some clout, on ways to have churches open safely and also to respect the governing authorities and also to learn why the government is putting these restrictions in place? I mean, the under that's a different approach than the government's ruining our lives, tyranny, we're going to protest. There has to be better ways to do this. <laughs> the, the funny thing is on that podcast with um, David J. Harris, he, <laughs> he actually said, well, I didn't want to, but, you know, I, I entered the political realm and I saw the underbelly of the beast, as it were. So he uses that as fuel and motivation to say this is really why we're doing it, because I've seen what politics is doing to America and to the church. It's like, well, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was thinking, Rob, where does Sean get some of this? The, what makes someone like a Sean tick, right? Right. And Sean's been from Bethel. 
Bethel has this theology called Dominion theology, which different groups describe to you. It's not it's not a, it's not a Bethel exclusive. If you um, you know if you were, um, but I'm trying to pull it up here. Hold on, here it is. So if you guys don't know what it is, Dominion theology, which is also known as Dominionism, is a group of Christian political ideologies that seek to institute a nation governed by Christians based on their understandings of biblical law. So the idea is that we are responsible for bringing God's kingdom down to earth, and we do that by implementing ourselves in the government and by changing the way that the government functions you know, legally is a big part of it. I'm sure there, there's more facets to it, but that's that's one of the big ideas is that we have dominion dominion over the world. We have dominion over the culture. We need to use that to influence politics, to bring the kingdom down to earth. Ironically, in a lot of ways, I love the idea and I believe that Christians are called to be God's representatives to bring the kingdom to earth for sure. But our approaches are totally different um, based on what I see in scripture, you know, um, more of like a Bible project kind of idea, much more subversive and much more of, yeah, as Christians, we are called to reflect who God is to a, a, a country. Therefore, we should be pushing away our rights for the sake of the other. Sean and Bethel have more an approach of we have to get into politics, have to get into the government, have to kind of rule from the top down, so to speak. And that's part of what I think makes Sean tick. And this is why, you know, we say it so often and we'll say it again on this podcast. This is why theology does matter. Theology should dictate our lives. And that's why I said at the beginning, I do applaud Sean for following out and living out his theology. Albeit, I, I would look at it and say that's not good theology, but that is what we're critiquing. And we can't say everyone that Sean, that, you know, has been to this concert or whatever, subscribes to the same theology or sees things the same way, but it does help understand why he's doing some of the things we, he's doing if we readily understand where he's coming from. And one of the other movements um, is like the Pentecostal charismatic movement that obviously Sean was involved with, kind of shaped his theology in many ways. And a lot of that worship theology is about merging those two things together, really. So they take, you know, Psalm 22, where it's talking about God and uh, talking about the Holy One who inhabits the word or the praises of Israel. And they take that very literally to say, when we gather as a church who has replaced Israel, God is going to come down. We're going to manifest his presence and bring the presence of God through our praise, through our worship. And so it makes sense. So he is going to a place that he looks at and says, there's turmoil, there's satanic influence. And, and if you hear him talk, he'll talk about the demonic the demonic spirits. These people have demonic spirits. And these protesters, they have demonic spirits. And so in his theology, it would make sense. Well, let's go have a worship service there. Let's bring the presence of God there through joy, through praise, through worship. And that will set the environment right. And we can bring God back into this place. And so what he's doing is in line with his theology. So 
that's why, again, we'll reiterate, theology does matter. That makes sense because the more opposition he gets, the more he probably sees, oh, this is a stronghold here, the more reason to keep going. Right. Right. So if people are protesting what he's doing, he sees that as demonic and as some some other thing, something deeper, something spiritual happening. Therefore, all the more reason to worship louder, to worship harder, to crank up the music because this is a stronghold that the enemy is in that we need we need to break. Mm-hmm. My question is: once you stop playing and you leave, what happens? Does it like come back? Almost like almost like a Red Sea idea, where wherever you walk, it's dry land until you're out of it, and then the waters recede behind you. I don't understand how that would work like in like the real world of how could you look back and say, look, like we, that place was dark. And now that we were there, it's all better. Like those people are changed. And I think it's a little dangerous to start assuming that people who are protesting you or who are pushing back are being demonically influenced, right? Because that could be really abused real quick with how we, not that I would say that I believe that demonic possession could definitely happen for sure. But I think that it's it's also been so misused that I'm almost so jaded to it now, where it's it's more of, I'm sure that could be the devil, or you could just have a headache, also possible. <laughs> um, or yeah, um, could be the enemy attacking you, or maybe you just have really bad anxiety. <laughs> Stuff that we've talked about before in the past. Um, so I, I yeah, that makes a lot of sense to putting it like that. How Sean sees what he's doing almost like he has glasses on seeing the unseen world, the spiritual world. So wherever he goes, you know, there are strongholds that he has to break. And those strongholds manifest in government regulation, in government mandating um, social distancing and government mandating masks um, and people protesting Sean. That's the manifestation of the demonic presence. And just so we're clear, I don't want to miss an opportunity here. You're calling these events a Red Sea affair. Is that correct? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're welcome. Did you just summon my old band name into this conversation? <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm, it's a Red Sea affair. <laughs> I, d- yeah. I, did, I couldn't miss that opportunity. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying, Rob. <laughs> but it, and. When, when we're talking about this, it, it's just so apparent and it's just so real that I, and I, I'm going to say it again, but why, why we're so big on getting good theology, getting good teaching, really seeing what the scripture says in its context and who it was talking to and, and understand all of those things. Because if you don't, you'll quickly get things out of order and I actually think some of this bleeds over into reformed theology because most of reformed theology would go to a, uh, the church has replaced Israel and we are going to bring in the millennium by the church bringing the kingdom of God here and setting the world up for Jesus to come back and immediately reign. Like we'll bring righteousness in. So that way Christ can come back and, set up his kingdom to reign. And if that's your theology, then obviously you'll be very involved in politics. You'll be an extreme activist. You'll try to be voting in every person that calls himself a Christian over someone who is maybe Catholic or Mormon, because 
that's against your theology on what what you see as the scriptures bearing out. Yeah, I I, I, I want to kind of find the nuance here because I, I got to be honest, I, I really see a lot of that idea, not so much the Israel church stuff. I mean, that, that to me is whatever for this conversation, more yeah. about the idea of like as Christians, we are called to be God's ambassadors to announce the kingdom that Jesus started ushering in that we're continuing that journey with. Um, it just, for me, I think it seems that to do that in today's Christian climate means you have to vote a certain way every single time. And right. it's only a certain few sins that are the real big ones. Um, you really can't talk about um, socioeconomic issues or racist issues. It's just about abortion, gay rights, and owning guns, pretty much. Those are the three big things. <laughs> and so I, it's it's not so much for me that I think oh, Christians shouldn't be involved in politics or that Christians shouldn't be advocating for um, for just laws. Yeah. It's that to me, the Christian right especially has been so hijacked by a couple issues that are really more nuanced than we than we make it out to be that because of that, it's pushed so many Christians away from trying to even be involved in politics. But I think the difference as well is that someone like myself or maybe like you, Rob, or even other friends of ours who are kind of thinking this way are much quicker to reach across um, religious aisles to partner to make the world a better place. And for me, I see that as kingdom work, right? So if I can partner with someone who doesn't share the same belief I do and we can work together to um, help single mothers out in Camden or in, in, in an impoverished area, to me, that's a kingdom win. But to maybe someone else in like the more traditional view of the evangelical conservative, that's not a kingdom win because it's not legislated and it's not a law against, I don't know, something that is more important to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that the idea is really good. Yeah, Christians should be actively engaging and thinking about ways to give people glimpses of God's kingdom because God is on a mission to redeem his earth and the people inside of it. That's that's great. How do we do that is where the million dollar question lies. I think I'm much more in a state of we do that through working together. We do that by not trying to make lines of us versus them. We do that by trying to reach across aisles and even, you know, different belief systems to try and make things better in our neighborhood. And then from there, the gospel could be introduced. So that's my approach now much more than oh, well, I stand against LGBTQ rights because I'm a Christian. And that's And that's kind of the hot-button topic in the evangelical culture because, I don't know, the gays are trying to ruin my life or something, something nebulous that's right. kind of out there. That's not as important to me as, okay, how is my neighbor doing? But <laughs> How are, are they okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> then we'll go, we'll go from there with everything else. Yeah, and... and one of the one of the items that i i've just been thinking about recently too is do the the model that jesus wanted the model that he set up the model that he gave to his disciples and especially to paul to set up was it hey guys go infiltrate the political sphere and make sure you wield your influence and change things so that you can really then proclaim the gospel no, it was go and preach to the broken, to the poor, to the destitute, because those are the ones that are going to listen. Preach it to everyone, but I'm telling you who's going to listen. And 
with them, make local communities who then can serve, who then love on each other, who then have a unified vision in that local community on how best to reach those around them. And if you look through, that's what the New Testament was written to. All of Paul's letters or the majority of Paul's letters were written to local churches, encouraging them on certain things. It was written to Timothy or Titus to encourage them on the local church that they were a part of. And then you go into the book of Revelation. Again, there's, especially in the beginning, there's those seven letters to the churches written to local churches. And it, that, that is the model of Christianity. Not that the political sphere is where we're going to get the most bang for our buck, as it were, but the local church is where we're going to get the most gospel outreach and gospel effort and gospel effectivity. Yeah, I wrestle with that a lot because obviously Paul's day, there wasn't a Democratic Republic set up. For sure. You know, I'm not sure how much influence you could even have if you wanted to be more political. I think that there's wisdom to use and there's yep. assuming that that you can understand the context of what the new testament world sits in you can kind of apply some of those principles to any part of your life so I, I i agree with you though rob that 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 the heartbeat is that jesus established the church right he he didn't really i mean he establishes governments but not in the same not the same way as the church the church is is the bride so to speak yep. so i believe that the church is the hope of the world we've talked about this a lot even as in my opinion, as misled and kind of, and fattened up as it's been in America, it still has the potential to really do a lot of good. And whenever there's that void from the church not doing that, <laughs> other things or people or systems will fill that void. Right now, it's politics. Um, I think no matter what, politics is going to be involved somewhere. I mean, even in in Paul's day, it was political because a lot of what he was saying was pretty subversive. I mean, Jesus is Lord is a direct contradicting uh, contradiction to Caesar is Lord. Yep. And so that is in itself is a political statement that anyone in their context would know what Paul was saying. So obviously there are, are levels to that. I think something that I think where, where I wrestle with the most is that the new Testament and really the whole Bible, but specifically the new Testament was, was not written by the winners of history. <laughs> Paul was not sitting in the majority <laughs> When he's writing letters to the New Testament, who's sitting right? in prison? <laughs> right, the church is not is not the top dog; it's the underdog, and then some. In America, we're the top dog, pretending that we're the underdog, but we're the top dog. So it's it's hard for me to to, and I think it's hard for Christians to read the New Testament letters through the lens of the oppressed, because most, especially white Christians, do not live in in an in that situation most of us live where we're fighting or people are fighting for us for more rights for more ways to express our religious freedom which even now i can't think of any limitations on it pretty much um so it's tough because knowing that that the bible was written that way is hard for me to as a western individualist um top dog my 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 my, my, my faith is is accepted into American culture. Even people who are opposed to it still accept it and understand what it's about. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, there's no fear of being hunted down and killed for my faith at all in America. The worst thing that happens is someone writes a blog post about you, right? Um, so it's hard for me to wrestle with that. 
of what do we do with, with, with these letters that are really written to a whole different kind of people? <laughs> uh, it can be tricky for sure. I, while you were saying that, the, 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 the Bible, and even, all right, go back further, go to the Old Testament. Israel was not the winning nation. Yeah, and they had their yeah. winning battles, but they were also in exile for 70 years and were under captivity in Babylon. They, they were defeated and downtrodden most of the time because of their disobedience. But that, all that aside, the Bible was more, most predominantly written by the oppressed. Yes. And, did, and I know there was a guest. I was trying to look it up real quick. There was a guest on Theology in the Raw um, that Preston Sprinkle had on that went into detail about this. Oh, and, it was the one that we were listening to, wasn't it, that you sent to me? It might have been. I, I forget if it was AJ Swidboda, but I don't think it was. I, I can't. It I'm was looking of, it up. It was one of his friends, and I can't remember who it was. But um, but they they really just harped on this, that the, the Bible was written by the oppressed. And it's really an oppressed message, and that's that's okay, but it doesn't mean um, that we then come in and come with guns blazing and say, "Oh, we're so persecuted! I can't believe that we're doing this," because it actually thrived that way. And yes, the early yes. church was thriving because of its persecution, because when somebody comes and and um they see someone who's willing to die for something they believe that's that's a powerful thing and and that's that's why you see baptism so often preached alongside of the gospel or salvation was because it was a serious thing to be identified with this jesus right it, it basically meant you were going to die or be right. exiled from your community right, right. baptism was not uh, i mean it was not how we how it's celebrated now, and like you said, it put a target on your back. It pretty much said, "I'm marked. I'm I'm marked for death." Um, yeah, you know, we we really read in every. Let me preface by saying, every culture in the world does this. No matter who tells you that they don't, we all do. But we really do read the Bible through our cultural lens. Yeah, um, sure. America is built on individualism, on always winning, on being the best, on being number one. And we find the verses that 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 fit that worldview, and we really blow them up. I think about how many times have I heard sermons on running the race before you, um, or um, I could do all. You know how many how many sports posters do you see? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to score that last point or to win. Or how many sermons have I heard about how Christ? dominated his enemies by conquering them through by rising again and just was dominating everyone kind of you know that mentality of like macho man jesus but in reality in the context jesus was not seen that way at all i mean he was a loser right when he died it was jesus the loser yeah um, his friends it, all forsook him right i mean it's not a and we yeah it's not a pretty ending so i i think the more we can get back to just to just understanding the world that the Bible's coming from, the better we can understand and apply it for, for today. Scott McKnight, who wrote a book, uh, The Blue Parakeet, I recommend it to anyone listening, talks a lot about this idea of how every generation has to understand the Bible and then take that data alongside tradition 
and interpret it for our day in our way. And he talks about how every generation has to do that because every every cultural every culture has different challenges that are emphasized differently. So you have to be able to see the Bible uh, where it sits and then being able to reinterpret and apply it for what what how it needs to be, I guess, used in our culture. So there's a lot more to that than just, oh, read this book. It's black and white. Don't worry about, about the culture it sits in. Here's how you apply it. And, oh, we're biblical. It's like, well, <laughs> that's definitely one way to see it. But to do that really cuts you off from the rich context in culture that the Bible comes from that really makes more sense out of so many stories in the Bible that I think a lot of Western readers just scratch their heads at. Like the story of Jonah is a great example. If we're being honest, we can't imagine a, a, a whale so big, it swallows a man that he lives in there for three days and gets spit out. So to maybe Eastern readers back in the Jewish tradition, that's not even a thought because they, whatever. To them, it was a parable or something like that. But to us, it's like, oh my God, how did this ever happen? I don't understand. And then we're just taught, we'll just believe it. I think that creates a lot of problems for a lot of people. And and then we have to create science to say, well, it could have been this. And but we, we have to read how, how often, and I, so I don't want to get too far into this topic, but I believe not, not typical things that a conservative Christian would believe about Genesis. And but I, I also find difficulty in both, um, we'll call them young earth creationists and old earth creationists that are reading science back into the text to prove uh -huh. their, their, their field. And it's like, that's, you're missing the whole point of Genesis at that point. It's not to provide science, it's to provide a theological framework. It's to provide perspective. It's okay. to give the readers of that day, the audience of the day, something that would right. apply to their lives. I have and a newsflash. <laughs> the author of Genesis had no context for science. They didn't know what gravity was. To them, the stars in the sky were actual gods. There's no framework for this. So it's not, like you said, Rob, it's not right to assume that, that, that the author of Genesis has your scientific worldview and is saying, yes, here's how the earth was physically created. It's all literal. It, it makes no sense. Yeah, and uh, both sides of the debate do that, and it just shows that we do that with everything else too. We want, we want hard facts. We're a very evidence-based, factual-based society and culture, and so when we say something or when we look at the Bible, we want evidence. We want um, something that we can prove. We want verifiable facts, and the Bible doesn't. A lot of times, doesn't give them. I know we're off topic, but we're gonna, I'm going to link this back to Sean. It's coming, guys. Hang in there. I know we're all over the place, but one last thing about that. Something that Tim Mackey says, there it is, ding, 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 Tim's mentioned, is that the Bible, especially the Torah, is not claiming to be camcorder footage of every single thing that you read in the story. Meaning, we look back and think, oh, this is the literal, detailed, exactly what happened account of, you know, the creation account or whatever. Um... Uh, the flood, etc. The Bible is not claiming that. <laughs> it's not claiming to be camcorder footage. And that's okay. But that's for a whole different discussion. <laughs> um, I want to circle back around because we're almost out of time. So I know we kind of jumped all over the place. And thanks for hanging in with us, guys. I want to say one more thing about this. One of the pushbacks I've gotten a lot whenever I posted my, um, you know, um, standing against what Sean's doing is that, well, Tim, 
people are protesting with no masks. People are not social distancing for these protests. And and where's where's your your outcry about this? <laughs> I want to I want to bring this up specifically. Here's the difference, guys. Not only have I been taught this, but I believe it. I don't expect the culture and people who don't know Jesus to act like Jesus followers. Okay. I do expect though Jesus followers to act like Jesus followers. So it's kind of like me robbing someone's house and saying, well, no, no, the, the burglar down the street, he broke into the house too. So why am I being punished? We both broke into it. That is the point is not that someone else did something wrong. The point is that for you to make it a big deal and then do the same exact thing, that's the problem. Christians are held to a different standard. How often, if you're listening to this, how often, if you grew up in church, was it drilled into your head that we are not of this world, that we are different, that we are set apart, that we are salt to the earth? Um, That is the idea here, guys. I don't expect bad people to follow the rules or not to loot or not to burn their city down. But I do expect Christians not to do any of that. And that includes them going out and protesting with no mass or no social distancing. That being said, one more thing about this. I did, a, I did, um, I did, um, I think five months ago now, um, I attended a, um, a rally for racial equality. I would say like 90% of the people were wearing masks and everyone pretty much stayed separate besides like their small clan groups. So <laughs> I'm not saying that's everywhere, but what I am saying is that these people are not protesting that, that, that the pandemic was planned or that the government is, 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 is ruining their lives because they're Christians and they're not protesting that, that masks shouldn't be worn. That's not what they're protesting about. So even if it were the same thing, it's still very different, but all that to say, Christians are held to a different standard. So I think it's so it's so flawed to believe that we're set apart. And then when it's convenient to compare ourselves to the culture, just so we can we can behave just as poorly as they are. It makes no sense. And yeah, I'll circle back onto one of your earlier topics too. And I, I I totally agree with that. That we, we are called called to be separate. We're called to be different. And how much <laughs> I'll, I'll say this because I said it so many other times, how much, how, how much of a Christian ethic is it? Like, I can't think of another symbol that would more perfectly fit the Christian ethic than wearing a mask during a pandemic where a virus is spreading. Like, the studies are are conclusive. The mask really doesn't have any effect for me. It's not going to stop particles from entering into me. The mask is really for other people to stop whatever I have from spreading. How much more of a display of the Christian ethic is I'm going to inconvenience myself for someone else, but we'll leave that sit where it is. I don't want to let it sit. I want to get going again, but we're almost out of time, Rob. How would you drop that grenade into my lap and say, no, don't do anything with it, you know? Oh, my gosh. You are absolutely correct. I wish that Christians were known for them being the first adopters of masks and the first adopters of social distancing and were voluntarily saying, for the good of our neighbor, we will find other ways to meet in smaller groups without jeopardizing people. But instead, we have John MacArthur out there 
spreading actual videos about how it's not really a pandemic, how this is just the devil. I mean, just such misinformation and how we have a constitutional right to assemble. Oh, I'm, I'm pounding my table as I, as I say that. Cause I'm just so, I'm so enraged at this self-centeredness of the American Christian and how we've been taught that. Ugh. Anyway, that's for a whole different discussion. To, to, to go, to go into something that you did say there, so I don't know, I guess um, Sean is kind of involved in this David's tent. Uh, it's like a 24-hour music and um, outreach effort uh, or something. Oh, yeah, I know what that is. Okay. So I was listening to some of the musicians that were, it was like a Q&A with the musicians that were a part of David's tent. You know, like, um, what's, what's his name? Jeremy Riddle and, oh. and, and mm-hmm. all those guys and girls. I'm not discriminating here but so they were asking them questions and one of the questions came up about how how do you if how do you see it was, it was something related to how do you see the battle that you're fighting because as as worship leaders we're often fighting a spiritual battle and we and we need to identify our enemy and so forth and the answers were like kind of scary for me because they were like well you we need to prepare for battle and sometimes um uh you know the the lord gives us something and and we see what we're supposed to be attacking some spirit in the room that we're supposed to be taking down and we do that with joy but we do it with power and authority and that whole mentality is also behind what sean's doing and they see these zones as spiritual warfare and they're fighting it with this music and with these events and they're, they're fighting this spiritual power. And so I, I, again, I, I get what they're doing and what they're saying and what they're, um, and why they're doing it. It's just based on, in my opinion, really bad theology. Yeah. Not to say that there isn't a spiritual warfare going on. I we we've talked about this before. hundred percent there is. <laughs> that's why it's so hard because I, I'm not here to be that person that's like, oh, it's not real, don't believe it. I do. I mean, I believe that's a real thing. It just seems like it's taken to such an extreme. And because of that, people like myself want to push to a different extreme <laughs> to try and get some kind of sense of balance. But yeah, I, I agree. I, um, yeah, it, it, like anyone, including myself, it, it's a certain reading, reading of the Bible that, you know, leads you to a certain outworking. Um, yep. And that's why ultimately we have to do the due diligence of really doing our best to let the Bible tell its story instead of us trying to tell the, the story for the Bible. Um, it's, it's hard work. It's not easy. I have to listen to hours of podcasts and then re-listen again to try to understand what the heck they're talking about. It's a lot of books. It's a lot of reading and pondering and, and listening. Um, but that work has to be done because I think, Rob, we're finding the story of the Bible when it's able to tell the story and we're able to pick up on some of the, the world that it's living in. It's such a better story than what maybe we we've been taught to hear as evangelicals in America. Maybe there's more going on than just making sure you vote for the guy with an R in front of his name. Maybe there's more going on than just, you know, pray this prayer, walk this aisle. You'll never go to hell. The end. Maybe there's more happening that is spiritual. That is 
you know, um, a battle going on behind the scenes. But you can't get there unless you can better understand what the Bible is telling us. So I totally agree. I, I think as a as a whole, it's a it's a so much grander and deeper topic. And when you really study the message of Jesus and the way that he lived and what he was teaching, it makes him so much better of a person that you want to follow. And it's not just because you you see where where we get the idea that Jesus is just fire safety, right? He's just saving us from hell and from our sins. Great. And here's your ticket to heaven. See you on the other side. And what we're what we're talking about and what we're trying to portray is that this is so much deeper of a story and deeper of a message and so much deeper of a thing here that Jesus offers us. And it's so much it's worth so much more than what we've been giving it. I totally agree. So on that note, we probably should wrap up trying to keep these discussions under an hour. We traveled to a lot of places, friends. We hit a lot of topics. And just to reiterate, we I love Sean as much as, as I'm able to from this far away <laughs> and being this critical of what he's doing. However, he's still family. I think we can all agree on that. Even guys I don't like, like Jeff Durbin, who we'll get into next episode probably, and his <laughs> response about the woke church. Oh, my gosh. Even he is a brother even though he really grinds my gear. So, <laughs> so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will try and put a few of the articles that we sourced our info from in the show notes. If you like this episode, please, please give us a rating on iTunes and please share. It helps, helps us get the word out that we are doing this. And thanks for tuning in. We will talk to you guys next time. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.